You're listening to the Wavemaker Conversations podcast. I'm Michael Shoulder. Welcome to Wavemaker Conversations. Uh, I'm Michael Shoulder, your host, and I am here in the apartment of really one of the great figures in the hockey world, not on ice, but behind the mic. I'm here with Stan Fischler, and we are here, Stan, on the eve of really one of the most exciting times you could imagine in hockey, semifinals, game seven for both series. And I, I just want to say that this, this podcast right now, this episode, is not just for hockey lovers. If you even think you may have a chance of falling in love with hockey, Stan Fischler, he's your only hope. So, Stan, welcome to Wavemaker Conversations. Always a pleasure to be with you. Well, the last time we spoke uh, was a couple of years ago. You were 81 at the time. There's your bike in the corner of the apartment. Uh, you're still biking at age... 83. 83. That's how you get around the city? Yeah, I do. And uh, to me, biking, and I've been doing it since I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, so it's not like I just got on a bike. It's, it's sort of like skiing to me. You have to weave in and out, and you got, you got to be very vigilant. And, of course, there's no guarantee you're not going to get whacked by somebody opening a door, as has happened to friends of mine and happened to me many years ago. Uh, and you got to be lucky. <laughs> but more than anything, you have to be used to doing it, and you, and you have to take the occasional gamble, like... Cutting across, uh, I did this uh, not very long ago, uh, cutting across 9th Avenue uh, as the light was changing and I had to just uh, hustle my way from the west side to the uh, east side of before a guy came flying down and, of course, he hurled the usual New York epithets at me. And uh, you, you need some enforcers. <laughs> As That's, in hockey. As in hockey. So, so let's get to hockey. First of all, you're writing a book. I see your three interns over here, but you're writing a book, uh, you told me, called the, the 50 Greatest Moments and 50 Greatest Players in Rangers History. And again, you, are, you have been with the MSG Networks and with the New York Rangers for how long? Well, I broke into uh, a hockey professionally as a living, making a, a weekly uh, salary, the year I got out of Brooklyn College, which was 54, in 1954, I was hired by the Rangers in September 54, before the season started, as the assistant publicist. And it was a wonderful job. It, uh, that's an understatement. I mean, the old line is, I thought I died and went to heaven because I never dreamed I would wind up getting paid for a hockey job. And uh, as it happened, you know, if I, I made a, turned a five-day week into a seven-day week because on Saturday I went in anyhow because I just loved being in the hockey realm. And, of course, I still couldn't believe I was getting paid for doing this. And, uh, and, and you feel when you're in that situation, even though you don't put on the skates and get on the ice, you feel you're part of the team. So that was always very exciting. And then, of course, on Sunday we had a game and I wouldn't think of not going to the game because I worked the game. So I was, it was a seven-day-a-week uh, gig for me right from the outset. And basically, you know, for the most part, hockey's been uh, part of my seven days since I was then, since it was then. See, you said something there because my kids, uh, they don't watch hockey. 
and I'm convinced they don't watch it because they've never played it. And you said, hey, it's, you know, this, the writing job, it's not the same as putting on your skates. You put on your skates at a pretty early age, right? Tell, tell me about how you got into it. By the way, we're going to get into the breaking news, you know, the series tonight and tomorrow uh, or tomorrow night. Um, uh, but, but first, just tell me how you got into hockey. Well, my father, uh, <coughs> in 1939, I was seven years old. Any kid seven years old in 1939, in order to survive as a kid, he had to see a movie. Just like the kids had to see Star Wars and whatever cockamamie movies are running now, I had to be one of the kids, the millions of kids had to see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And my father promised me Sunday, he, oh, shh. That's, a, that's okay, the phone's going off. I'll, I'll shut her off now, sorry. And by the way, do we hear the traffic outside his window? A little bit, yes. So just so everybody knows, we're here on the Upper West Side of New York. I'm not giving away the address because then people will be knocking down this guy's door. But, but that's what you hear in the background is the traffic. So, 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 Stan, so, 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 so this is, this is going to be an interesting conversation here. This is going to be an interesting take story. It, if somebody rings, answer it, and just take a name, okay? okay. I'm sorry. No, so, this is, so, so you're, you're about to make a transition between Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs well, and hockey. It was, it was a, the biggest deal for every kid to see, and it was playing at the Globe Theater. We never had a car, so we jumped into the subway Sunday afternoon. We were all excited. Beautiful day. The sun's out just like now. We get out at 50th Street. This is a downpour, a Hollywood downpour, Hollywood downpour, Hollywood, 100 years of making movies, they don't know how to make rain. Every, every movie is sheets, sheets. You never see, in, in Hollywood, they never make a movie with a drizzle. <laughs> That's the truth. So, but this was, this was a Hollywood downpour, and we didn't have an umbrella, and the Globe Theater was five blocks from uh, 50th and 8th, and we, we, there was Madison Square Garden, and they had a hockey game going on that day because the Rangers had a farm team called the Rovers. They played every Sunday afternoon throughout the winter. And he says, I'm taking you to a hockey game. I started to cry. I don't want to go to what? The, I didn't even know what the hell hockey was, let alone the fact that I wasn't going to see Snow White. And I started the ball. My father never gave in to me, so he yanked me into the hockey game, and I was furious. How am I going to get even with him? And the best way to get even is to do the opposite of what he's doing. He was rooting for the home team, the Rovers. And I said, to hell with this. I'm going to root for Washington. And my luck, what do you think? My, my radio idol at that time was the Lone Ranger. I didn't know what the hell the Lone Ranger looked like, but I knew he was blonde in my imagination. And I picked out a guy on Washington who was blonde. His name was Normie Burns. Turned out that he was the star. Scored a three-goal hat-trick. My father's team lost. My team won. And I was very happy about that. So we go home. Monday morning, I go to PS54. Mrs. Gould says, we're doing show and tell today. You know what show and tell is? Pub Public School 54 in New York. That's, what they, that's how they name the schools. So PS54, show and tell. I think we all know what show and Mrs. tell is. Mrs. Gould say, calls on me. And I was fascinated with the hockey goalie. So I did the whole thing with the goalie did, and I explained the pads and how great. She gave me an A. I got an A out of hockey. Hockey's not bad, so uh, feeling pretty good about hockey. And I said to my father... And by, by the way, remind me, how old were you at this time? It was uh, 1937. Okay. So my father took me to see Snow White on Saturday... 
And we went back to see a hockey game on Sunday. We saw the Baltimore Orioles play the Rovers, and they had the most fant fantastic combination of brown and uh, uniforms. Never forget it, because the uniforms and the whole ambiance of the ice and the thing was part of the excitement, not alone the fighting and the this and the that. It was just so much so exciting, and I never stopped going. But the prodigal son did, did come back to the Rangers. Ultimately, yes. The how, long, how long did it take you to root for the Rangers? It was not easy because when I was 10, for my 10th birthday on March 31st, they got me a little radio from my little room. I was an only child and I had a, we were very poor, but it was this little Philco radio. It's in March 42. It was in. Uh, Saturday night, and I'm flicking the switch on the radio, and I'm turning the dial, and between WOR 710 and W, then WJZ 7070, in the middle, I'm listening to this guy broadcasting a hockey game. Turned out it was Foster Hewitt doing a Maple Leaf game, and the Maple Leafs were playing the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup final. And the Leafs had lost the first three straight and they were in the process of winning the next four in a row. No, no other team ever did that. But the thing that caught me was the excitement of Foster Hewitt. This is the guy who invented hockey play-by-play. -play. He shoots, he scores. And the other thing that knocked me out were the nicknames. Had great nicknames on that team. They had a defenseman named Wilfred McDonald. His nickname was Bucko. Had a defenseman named, I forget, Edwin Campman. And his name was Bingo. So they had a bingo and a bucko on defense. Then they had another guy named Dave Schreiner, and his nickname was Sweeney. Then they had a goalie named Walter Broder, and his nickname, his nickname was Turk. I mean, he's, it was, they were filled with great nicknames. Plus, the captain of the team, his name was Sylvanus Apps. I never heard <laughs> of a Sylvanus before or since, but listening to the whole thing and then following the Leafs and I became a Leaf fan. I, be, I have scrapbooks from 42 on to 52 all over this house of the Maple Leafs. They became my team until I started college. When I started college in the 50-51 season, the Rangers organized a fan club, the, pre, the press office, and I because I wanted to get into hockey, and I instinctively realized if I join the fan club, there'll be things that I can do that will get me closer to my goal. And in the fan club, me and a guy named Jerry Weiss and Freddie Meyer, we formed a newspaper, the Rangers Review. And in those days, it wasn't like now. You could get to the players, and we began to interview players off the ice. I remember I interviewed Eddie Coleman, K-U-L-L-M-A-N, from Winnipeg, in his bed after he was taking his afternoon nap before the game. I was there with Freddie, and it was just fantastic. So I got to know the players. I got to know the guys at the Garden, and that's how I wound up getting hired later. So you were so single-minded about hockey all through this serendipitous Hollywood reign that if it never happened, who, who knows? Who knows? And, but, but now when was the first time you put on a pair of skates? And again, 
we're going to get, I don't care when we get to, we're going to get to the, to, to the series and to who you think is going to be in the finals and, and all that. But, but when did you first put on that pair of ice skates? No, or first, was it roller skates first? First rollers. Now, in 1940, which was after I had started going to the games and I was infatuated with, with hockey and the Rangers won the cup in 40, I remember the very first time I actually had a hockey stick in my hands. It was, I was eight years old and I was visiting my Aunt Lucy and Uncle Ben and I had a brand new pair of uh, roller skates and, and by, I, by the way, these were not in those days the inline roller skates, right? These no, were no, two, two yeah, on each side. You had to have a skate key to right. tighten the uh, thing, and you strapped it onto your shoe. And um, they lived uh, in uh, Forest Hills, and there was a on Queens Boulevard. The, the sidewalk was kind of big, so there was enough room to skate around. And I just had a, uh, I had a. Uh, thing from a cottage cheese box which I made into a puck and I was whacking it around uh, pretending to be uh, Brian Hextall of the Rangers who scored the winning goal and uh, that was the first time that I remember I was just playing alone which uh, being a being an only child, that you did that a lot. You know, I was an only child. And, so and you, you know, I loved playing alone. I had yeah. friends, too, but I loved playing yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah. And my team always won when I played alone. Yeah. You know who beat you? Who? I, I beat you when I was playing alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was uh, the, you had the referees on your side. That's the problem. <laughs> well, so, so let me ask. So, so now let's, let's, let's fast forward. Oh, but then, then when, when did you get on, on the ice, actually? Well, wait a minute. Wait. Then... I always wanted... What do you mean, wait a minute? How much time do you think we have here? <laughs> I'm sorry. At, in, 40, in 47, I'm a Maple Leaf fan, right? Watching a Ranger game. And I'm sitting next to the only... Uh, there are 15,000 people there. And only two people are rooting for the Maple Leafs. Me and this guy, Jimmy Hernan. I'm a Jewish kid from Brooklyn. He's an Irish Catholic kid from Woodside, Queens. And we got to talking. And he tells me he plays for a team. I said, you actually play for a team? He said, yeah, it's, it's called the Woodside Whippets. I said, can I play with you guys? He said, yeah, come down next. And I, start, I became uh, a defenseman on the Woodside Whippets. I'll la later show you a picture of me in my uh, Woodside Whippets jersey. You might have said it. How old were you? What's that? How old were you? So we met, this was in uh, 47, and I was born in 32, so I was about 15. And, and now, I'm sorry, this, is, this was an ice hockey team now. Roller. Oh, this was still roller. Long okay. Island City YMCA Roller Hockey League. Gotcha. And I played with the Whippets, and uh, they welcomed me. I was the only Jewish guy in the team. They were, and I, friends, I made lifetime friends, guys. I'm still buddies with Joe Jamo, who got us into a lot of trouble, because we had a game in Astoria, and we're taking the bus... From Woodside to Astoria, the whole team's on the bus, and Joe Jamo's sitting in the back, and he yells out, Hey, does your father work? And Jimmy Hernan's answers, No, he's a bus driver. So the bus driver <laughs> stopped the bus, and he threw us off the bus. We had to roller skate all the way to, to uh, Sunnyside to play the game. Oh, we my barely God. won. Tell me, was there was there body checking? Was there all? Was it a, a rough game, or was it more it was, just stick it handling? Was, puck we handling. never had a referee. That was the amazing thing. And the only rule was the only problem was if we played in Astoria, we played in the streets. So if you get knocked on the sidewalk in Astoria, the rule was 
If you get back into the game, you're lucky because somebody's liable to beat the crap out of you while you're on the sidewalk. They didn't like they didn't like the visiting team, so we had to be very careful not to get knocked onto the sidewalk. Uh, but it was fun, and as I said, lifetime friends. Uh, Freddie Myers uh, was my defense partner. I still see him, and uh, Jamo, and uh, and then later on, I played roller hockey for the Wizards in Brooklyn. Uh, this was now I'm in college, and another lifetime friend, my buddy Carl Glickman. So roller hockey was an entree to ice hockey because when I worked for the Rangers, they had a closet that was endless. And it turns out that they had stuff from way, way back, and I found a whole bunch of skates that had been used by the Rangers, guys from the 30s. And they were what they call... They, they were CCM Tackerberries. Tackerberry was a kind of Australian leather they used. They were coveted. They were coveted. And I found a pair that fit me. Oh. And there was a Brooklyn Ice Palace then. They had pickup games on Saturday nights after three, uh, 11.30. And I uh, started to play ice hockey. Wow. And so all through college, what did you study in college? Well, my major was first history, then sociology, and uh, and I never thought I'd get into hockey, so I uh, I went for my uh, graduate school. I went for teaching. I actually got my master's in ed oh. at LIU. Well, so in a sense, you, you are a teacher now. This is Wavemaker Conversations. I'm Michael Schulder, talking hockey with Stanley Fischler, the hockey maven, author of roughly 100 books on the sport. We'll get his take on the final stretch heading into the Stanley Cup Finals and some great stories of courage from the history of hockey. First, I want to welcome Wavemaker sponsor Harrys.com, purveyor of high-quality shaving supplies. The razors are actually made in a factory in Germany that's been doing this for more than half a century. The owners of Harrys bought it. The reason I had time to travel to New York and do this interview in person is that I ordered my shaving supplies online from harrys.com. I didn't have to wait in line at a drugstore to get the high-end razor case unlocked. You can do the same with a Wavemaker discount, too. You can order a starter kit from harrys.com and at checkout put in the discount code WAVEMAKER. harrys.com, discount code WAVEMAKER. Did I hear someone say Father's Day is coming up? Enough said. This is Wavemaker Conversations. I'm your host, Michael Schulder. We're here with the MSG Network's Stanley Fischler, author of roughly 100 books on hockey. Can we get more exact than that, or is it no, that's, fair. that's fair enough. Roughly 100, and, and in the process of writing one on the 50 greatest moments, 50 greatest players of the New York Rangers who are going for Game 7 tomorrow night uh, against Tampa Bay. And so let's bring it up to the present and these current two semifinals. I've been watching some of them. And again, I've had that experience of looking down for two seconds at my kitchen table and looking back up at the TV. And I said, I can't believe I missed the score. (laughs) So it is a fast game. What is the game like today? When you're watching these two series, give me some of the most memorable moments and how we the novice, the novices who don't watch hockey all the time, how could we possibly see these great, great moments if they're not just so obvious? Well, you start out with the fact that a hockey player is the most skilled of all athletes because 
not only, well, first of all, he's skating on an artificial ground, the ice. He's wearing an artificial uh, feet, so to speak, the skates. He's using an artificial arm, the stick, with a, a six-ounce hunk of vulcanized rubber, the puck. And he's doing this at breakneck speeds. These guys now skate up to 30 miles an hour. They shoot the puck faster than 100 miles an hour at a goalie who has to face these crazy shots. And a lot of times he doesn't see the shot until the last second, if he's lucky. And, of course, uh, goaltending is considered 60 minutes of hell. But these guys do it because right now they're well paid and they're better protected than ever before. And it's, in a sense, a ho the beauty of hockey is the, the drama. And it, in so many ways, it's organized chaos. And then on the other hand, it's very well planned. So I can tell you one uh, play uh, in game five when uh, Tampa beat the Rangers at the Garden 2-0. Uh, the first goal was one of these planned plays. It was three guys coming down the ice, passing the puck, until finally the guy who shot the puck was in excellent position. It was a wrist shot. It was radar kind of accurate, hit the inside of the post, went in, almost impossible for the goalie, Henrik Lundqvist, to stop. So that was, you know, that was, uh, that was the first goal. And the second goal was a power play. And again, this was something that you blueprint. It was actually came off, you know, the, uh, uh, the game plan. Power play, they had an extra man, and it was passing the puck until your guy was in such a position that the goalie had no chance to boot, do, stop it. It was an open net, and Steve Stamkos, the captain of Tampa Bay, put it in. So that's the artistic side of the game, the blueprinted plays within the chaos. So if you have these 10 guys skating around, whacking each other with the stick, with the bodies, and uh, and it's also a game of mistakes. So uh, when you consider all of these things that I'm talking about, the speed they're going, they're hitting each other, and a lot of mistakes happen. And speaking of mistakes, because I watch more basketball than I do hockey, you know, it's pretty clear. You see when a guy makes a mistake. You know, you know how many turnovers a person has. It's hard to see that in hockey because oh. you don't you don't even know what the intent is. To Absolutely. Start and that is the beauty of television. What television has done for hockey has really enhanced it for the novice because they have a puck inside the net. They, when a goal is scored... A camera, a camera inside I'm sorry, yeah. a, a camera inside the net. And when a goal is scored, you can see so many angles. They replay it. They show you things. I mean, I am, I've been in television. I've been working television now since 1973. And I'm just astonished at the things they're doing, particularly in high definition now. Now, speaking of the goal, so one of the teams has a six-foot-seven-inch goalie, right? Who is that? You're talking about Ben Bishop uh, in Tampa Bay. Okay, so six foot seven inch. I've already read about how because of the the extra padding and everything, there is such a tiny window to get that puck into the net. At the same time, six foot seven, I would imagine, I mean, how does a six foot seven guy have the agility 
to get himself in position to stop those pucks? With difficulty. <laughs> because he's almost like a circus stilt walker. I mean, it's very, very difficult. So theoretically, you're making it seem like he covers net is four foot high, six foot wide, you see. And because he's so tall, that doesn't make that much of a difference. He's at a deficit compared to a smaller goalie like Henrik Lundqvist because it's difficult. That's why they got beat the other night. He went down to block a shot, and uh, he made a terrific save. But before he could regain his balance, the Rangers had scored. So being as big as he is is more deficit, in my mind, than it is an asset. Do you know, do you know his story? Like, why does a 6'7 guy not become a member of the offensive line or a defensive man? Very simple. Goaltending to a lot of people, including my younger son, Simon, who is a goalie, is a fascinating position. It's very uh, ego-satisfying because you are the guy. As the forwards, they score goals, that a defense is supposed to keep you away, but people are breaking through, and the, you are the last line of defense. And there's a fascination to be in that position because I know I wanted to be a goalie more than anything. And when I was wanting to be a goalie, which would be around 1945 or 46, and Charlie Rayner was the Ranger goalie, and the thing about Charlie Rayner, he could do a perfect split, like Madame Pavlova in the ballet. And I kept trying to do a perfect split in my living room floor until my father said, Give it up. <laughs> do be something else. I couldn't be a goalie because I couldn't do a perfect split. So, so, so take us to the series now. You know, we've got game seven. What, if we watch either of the two series, so give, give us the teams and tell us the, the individuals we should be looking for and what, what you're going to be looking for that's going to give you that sense of, uh, I see who's got the upper hand today. Well... Uh, the Friday night game is Tampa Bay at Rangers game seven. And the first thing that I would uh, watch for since uh, the Lightning got blasted in the last game is how this gigantic goalie, Ben Bishop, handles the first couple of shots because he can get very nervous very easily. He's not used to being in this situation the way Henrik Lundqvist says. Henrik Lundqvist is in the finals last year against Los Angeles. They used to clutch games. Plus, this is before the world's famous arena. The world's most famous arena is the garden, so you got the pressure of performing in the garden. Now, on the other hand, the essence of these two teams, they both have the same theme, speed, speed, speed. They're both very fast teams, so you're going to see a lot of back-and-forth action, and, of course... To me, the most important thing in tomorrow's game is who scores the first goal. The first goal to me, particularly if the Rangers get it. If the Rangers get the first goal, I'm sure they're going to win the game. Boy, Light you can say that after, after 60 more plus years of watching hockey, you're that certain that if the Rangers score the first goal. Yes, because their goalie is better, their defense is better, and they're going to have the momentum, they're going to have the crowd roaring, and they're going to be souped up. The adrenaline will be at its height, and because Tampa Bay lost the last game so egregiously, 
they're going to be psyched out. So this is the psychology of it, but let's stop on that word speed. So two fast teams. So hockey's fast enough as it is, and these are two particularly fast teams. Tell me some stories from your experience in hockey of some of the fastest plays, how they materialized, and the, how you even saw the action transpire. Because I want to be able to see that if I'm watching the game. Well, the f- first fastest guy I ever saw who's in the Hall of Fame was Sil Apps, who was captain of the Maple Leafs, and they won. They were the first dynasty. Dynasty is winning three straight cups. They won the cup in 47, 48, and 49, and in 51. So that's four, uh, four cups in five years. That was phenomenal. Sil Apps had been in the Olymp 36 Olympics in Berlin. He was a track and field guy. He was tall, he had a great stride, and he could get breakaways, that is, break through the defense because of his speed. And uh, that, to me, was the uh, first superstar who had speed. So let me stop you right there, because in our last interview a couple of years ago, I learned that the average size of a player back then was, what, roughly Five seven? Did you tell me? Yeah. So so we talked about this last time. How much more white space? How much more ice was available to the skaters when we had those smaller players? And could you have would Silaps be able to to have a breakaway on offense with the size of the players today and with so little white space? Well, the, first of all, there was a trem- it was a tremendous the difference between the game then say 46 47 in the game today is that is like comparing tangerines with cadillacs there's no comparison there was a tremendous amount of room you could manipulate you could stick handle more freely you could find empty spaces it was a much, it was a different game different game now because there is less space you find what they they play what they call the chip and chip and chase game so if you since you can't get through as easily you chip the puck in, and then you chase after it rather than stick handling through. Not to say you can't stick handle it. It's done much more difficult to do. Which makes the game probably look more chaotic today. Correct. Much more chaotic. However, they changed the rules so that you could pass the puck all the way, what they call a stretch pass, all the way to the far blue line, which you couldn't do then, and that enables guy. If you do a good stretch pass, and I've seen it, we've seen it many times. There can be breakaways. I remember in the first game that uh, the Lightning won at the at the Garden, which was Game Two. Uh, what's his name? Tim uh, Johnson on uh, Tampa Bay blocked the shot. He had a clear breakaway from the uh, opposition blue line all the way to the goal, and he scored. And there are. Lots of breakaways today because of the stretch pass and the rule. When, when did that rule change? Uh, the rule change was only about five years ago. It's pretty recent. That's interesting because, that, I mean, that's, that, that made the, uh, for fewer stops. I remember watching hockey 10 years ago and saying, ah, oh, you know, every other, every other play is an offside, and then they stop, and it's, it's, I was, it was getting boring to me. And now the play hardly, the action hardly ever stops. Correct. Uh, games are... Unlike baseball, you get a game done in two hours. And, of course, in the playoffs, you have sudden death overtime. And uh, we've already uh, had the that's, – that's the fascination of the Blackhawks uh, playing Anaheim on Saturday night. Like the Rangers series, it's game seven. And this, the teams have 
very evenly matched. Now, is, is, would speed be the defining word for them, or is it a different word for the Blackhawks and Amon? No, because they, well, Blackhawks are a speed team. The Anaheim Ducks are more of a physical team. They try to wear you down with body checks. They try to, it's, it's like if you're looking at uh, World War I, which I studied intently, which, because my father was in the Navy in World War I, but it's like the artillery before, before the, the infantry attack. Bomb, you know, give them an hour worth of artillery and then hope that you've softened them up. And that's the way the Ducks play. They, got, they emphasize body checking, soften up the Chicago defense, particularly because Chicago only has four really good defensemen. So if you whack these guys enough, you have a good chance to win. Unfortunately for the Ducks, the Chicago defensemen know how to get duck about it. They are not a duck the Ducks. And, uh, and so that's why it's just going to a seventh game. And, you know, you talked about, about you know, hard checking and softening these people up. So if we're watching that game, we're not just watching the puck. We're, we're going to now, now I'm going to watch. Are they getting some really good punishing body checks in there? Yeah, well, because body. because that might that might spell the difference later on in the game. But let me ask you this, because when I, again, I'm, I'm living in Atlanta now. I'm from New York. I was rooting for the Hawks. There was a guy on Cleveland who some people think might have intentionally rolled over the ankles of, of a couple of players, uh, Delavadova, and, you know, we don't know what, nobody, nobody's really asked him about it, I don't think, or at least I haven't heard him, you know, specifically say, but, but his coach said, hey, he plays hard, but I'll tell you, I was so passionate about the Hawks, I wanted an enforcer at that point, and I started to question myself. I said, wait a second, I haven't even gotten Delavadova's side of the story, and already I want an enforcer out making him pay a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the enforcers these days in hockey and, and what kind of role they play. Well, the, the old-time enforcer, the guy who was this, just there to fight for fighting's sake, they're being weeded out because they're... The owners don't want to pay money for a guy who plays four or five minutes a, period, uh, a game. Which so it's is, an economic decision. Well, it's also because the speed of the game demands that you be more skilled. And you can't afford to have some clown who only plays five minutes because he can fight. you got to get rid of him. Now, a quintessential enforcer who can play is a guy named Tom Wilson on Washington. And he's tough. He's young. He's got enough skill that he can play, take a regular turn. Uh, a guy on uh, the Rangers, uh, Tanner Glass, he's on the fourth line. He takes a regular turn because he does enough good stuff, and he's also a heavy body checker, and he's also, to a certain extent, an enforcer. But he's playing regularly. He kills penalties. And he gets in front of the net. He disturbs the goalie. This is a guy who is an enforcer plus. All right. So, so let me ask you, in terms of these tough body checks, I have a hard time knowing. Like in basketball, you can see last night, in fact, there was a game, uh, the final game, Houston and, and Golden State. And towards the end of the game, somebody who was setting a pick gave a really hard elbow into the offensive guy's ear and his ear started bleeding and he was okay he came back but you saw it it was very clear 
on a on a body check that's just a good, tough, legitimate body check versus a body check that's a penalty, what do you look for? What's what's the difference between a hard body check and an over the line? Well, uh, the basic question is: that Does he leave his feet to whack the guy? And if he leaves his feet, then he's going to get. If the referee sees it, yes, then he's going to get penalized. Both, now, wait, both feet have to leave the ground? That, well, that's what happens, you know. But but the point wait, is, if, if who? I'm sorry, if who leaves his feet? The checker, the guy who hits. The victim, yeah. the attacker, the guy who does the assaulting, if he leaves his feet, he gets penalized. If he doesn't leave his feet, he can still get penalized if he whacks a guy from behind into the boards and, you know, and it could cause serious injury. And it's a very, the, there's a very fine line between what's legal and not legal. And because they don't use video replay to determine the penalty... A classic example was Steve Stamkos of Tampa whacked one of the Rangers, uh, uh, Ryan McDonough, the defenseman, into the boards, and everybody in New York said he should have been penalized, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, he was not. And then uh, one of the Rangers came running in, and, uh, and, in fact, it wound up with uh, the Rangers getting an extra penalty because Chris Kreider of the Rangers sought uh, uh, vengeance for that hit. And uh, as a result of that, uh, Tampa scored a uh, power play goal. So vengeance sometimes works against you, but sometimes, you've told me stories, sometimes it works for you. It fires up the team. Yeah, well, Give me an example of where it's worked for a team. Well, the perfect example that I remember was the uh, uh, Flyers playing the Islanders in a playoff. This is uh, going back a bit. And the Flyers were considered the Broad Street Bullies. They had a big guy named Tim Kerr. Good shooter, by the way. Good goal scorer. But big. And the guy, Islanders had a Kerr also. His name was Alan Kerr. He was a little guy. And the Islanders had tied the playoffs at three games apiece. I was at the game. It was the last minute of game six. Islanders are about to win. And Tim Kerr jumped Alan Carr, beat the crap out of him, as happened in those melees. And the whole point was he was sending a message for the next game. And I was at the next game in Philly, and you could tell that the Islanders were intimidated, and they lost the game convincingly. Sending a message for the next game. How often do we hear that? So that, that we hear that in, polit- in international politics all the time without the word game. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back for a final wrap it up discussion. With Domino's new piece of the pie rewards, you earn a free medium two topping pizza after just six online orders of $10 or more. Need some reasons to order? Throw a half birthday party for your husband. Happy 36 and a half. Or your cat. <laughs> Or get in touch with your vegetarian side. Hold the pepperoni. But we think free pizza's reason enough. Start earning points toward free pizza with our $5.99 mix and match deal at Domino's.com today. Rewards program is open only to U.S. residents 13 and older with a pizza profile account. Only one order per day earns points. Complete details at Domino's.com slash rewards. You must select this limited time offer. Prices, participation, and charges may vary. Looking to get the best deals at your favorite stores? CBS Local Circulars has you covered with access to the hottest sales around from electronic stores to baby stores and everything in between. Go to circulars.cbslocal.com today to get great deals from retailers like Target and Macy's. 
You're listening to Wavemaker Conversations. This is Michael Shoulder, your host, and I am here with uh, the most prolific, and that's not to exclude the quality of his writing, but the most prolific uh, hockey writer, Stanley Fischler, author of 100 books on the sport and two books on the New York subway system. That's for another discussion. But I want to, for, for those people like my kids, even like myself, who might might not be putting the Stanley Cup finals and even this, these game sevens on their appointment viewing. Give me a couple of stories from your pantheon of stories that will, that tell me, here's why you've got to watch this game. Here's why it's so amazing. Well, one of my favorite stories involves the 1951 Stanley Cup final. It was between Toronto and Montreal, and this was... Game five, every one of the four games was uh, an overtime game. And this game went into overtime also. And the uh, owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs had cautioned his players because uh, Montreal had the greatest scorer of our time, Maurice the Rocket Richard. And uh, he said, anybody who, uh, any defenseman who goes into the offensive zone uh, when uh, Maurice Richard is on the ice, gets fined uh, $500. This is a long time ago, and that was a lot of dough. So the game went into uh, over, and this, this is the beauty of hockey. You never know what's going to happen. Montreal was winning, and in hockey, you're allowed to take your goalie out and put an extra forward on to tie the game. So they had pulled uh, the goalie, Al Rollins, and what do you know? Uh, with about uh, 40 or 50 seconds left, Toronto uh, ties the game. Todd Sloan scores the goal, and now it goes into overtime. And every player knew, $500 fine if uh, you go into that defensive zone, uh, offensive zone. And five minutes go by, and the puck goes behind the Canadians' net, which was the Toronto offensive zone. And Howie Meeker of Toronto goes to get the puck, fights off the Canadian guy, Tom Johnson, and throws the puck back to the blue line. And the defenseman who was supposed to be there would be Bill Barilko. But he remembers that he's going to get fined $500, but he says, the hell with this. And he goes flying over the blue line. I have a picture of it. And in flight... He whacks the puck, goes over Jerry McNeil, the Leafs win the Stanley Cup, and the next day, Connie Smythe find him $500. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> give, me, give, me one, give me one more like that that, we, that, we should, uh, that that will help us maybe look, or look for or notice things that we might not otherwise have noticed. When I, when and give, I, give, give, me more, give me a recent I, story. Yeah, I would say in any game, even I would say the uh, Ranger game with Tampa Bay on Friday night or the Blackhawk game with the Ducks on Saturday night, when a team gets a power play, it's then where you see the artistry, the passing, trying to find the open man, as I mentioned earlier, the way uh, Tampa did uh, when Stamco scored that goal, how they try to work it. And what you have here is both you have the speed, you have the craftiness, and also you have the bravery of the guys trying to defend because you have defensemen and forwards 
throwing themselves in front of the puck. I remember in that 2 nothing game where Tampa beat uh, Ryan Callahan, who's from Rochester, New York, uh, twice threw himself in front of the pucks. And these are guys who don't have any face masks on. Can you imagine a shot going 110 miles an hour and it goes into Callahan's mouth? I mean, he's gone. And yet, so there's this bravery to try to prevent the puck go, you know, getting to the goalie. You've got the goalie trying to see through this maze of plays in front of them. And then you have the guys trying to pass the puck around so they get a good shot. And that's all. That's the chaos, the beauty, the craft, the artistry, all into one. All right, so with all this bravery, which is... Which, which, which many of us can't even imagine doing. I mean, usually you go the other way if you see a hard object coming towards your face, and these guys are going towards it. At the same time, I'm looking around your floor now in your study, and uh, more of the best of Milton Berle's private joke file. I see humor everywhere in your apartment. I think you told me four or five great jokes before we even started this interview. We're... we're uh, let's we got to cl the closing act is always the comedian so d tell me one of your favorite jokes an elephant goes to a shrink and the shrink says to the elephant get on my couch and tell me what your problem is and the elephant what the hell are you talking about getting on the couch first i got to know how much you charge and the shrink says i charge a hundred dollars a visit and three thousand dollars for my couch <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Let, let me ask you this, because I, when I interviewed you last time, I didn't know anything about your personal life. But, but, I, but I, if you're comfortable raising it, I'd love to raise it, because I read about your wife, Shirley, who passed away this past year, and I read your beautiful memorial, a short essay that you wrote. I mean, really, your writing is beautiful. Well, she had uh, uh, two things were really uh, what did her in. Uh, the primary one was lung cancer. Uh, and uh, that eventually metastasized, and she also had uh, a very, very serious case of diverticulitis. And uh, uh, she was amazingly courageous uh, through this whole business, and uh, she never cried. It was the most amazing thing to me. And uh, she, she knew she spent her whole life watching hockey ever you know as long as we were married uh, 46 years and she was also she was a a, a, a highly esteemed hockey writer correct well, we have books sitting around here the hockey encyclopedia which we did for macmillan was basically her book i mean i my name is on it but she did uh, 90 percent of the detail the grunt work and you know you have these grunt hockey players who you don't get they don't get the same credit that the scorers do but, uh, you know, uh, she was the one who did it. And she did many, many, many hockey books. Did she, did she love hockey when she met you, or did she grow to love it? Well, she uh, watched hockey at the University of Michigan. So she knew hockey, and they had a wonderful, uh, one of the greatest college players of all time, Red Berenson, was playing for Michigan, and uh, Berenson eventually played in the NHL. He's the only NHL guy who ever scored six goals in a game against uh, the against Philadelphia. He's with St. Louis. So she knew hockey, but she knew it on a different level than the National Hockey League. And uh, 
we, uh, I took her to a game before we were married. It was an exhibition game between the Rangers and the Canadians, and uh, she was entranced by it. Guys who were famous later, like Serge Savard, who's in the Hall of Fame, and Carol Vadney around the Canadians, and she, they were rookies, and she picked these two guys out. These guys are special, and of course, she knew, she actually had a better gut feeling toward the game than I did. So, you know, I have to end it by saying, and, and it all started, <laughs> amazing to me, right, how life works. It all started with that serendipitous moment of the Hollywood rain on your way to, what was Snow it? Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs S at the Globe Theater. Hockey trumped Snow White. <laughs> and uh, we all benefited from that. So, uh, Stanley Fischler... Thank you so much for joining me uh, on Wavemaker Conversations. As we say in the business, doing this conversation with you is like an open netter with the goalie pulled. Ha! Huh. Is that a compliment? Highest. <laughs> If you like what you've heard on this episode, you can subscribe to Wavemaker Conversations on iTunes, and you can always find this podcast on the new CBS podcasting platform, Play It. That's play.it. I'm your host, Michael Schulder. Thank you for listening. With Domino's new Piece of the Pie rewards, you earn a free medium two-topping pizza after just six online orders of $10 or more. Need some reasons to order? Throw a half-birthday party for your husband. Happy 36 and a half. Or your cat. <laughs> Or get in touch with your vegetarian side. Hold the pepperoni. But we think free pizza's reason enough. Start earning points toward free pizza with our $5.99 mix and match deal at dominoes.com today. Rewards program is open only to U.S. residents 13 and older with a pizza profile account. Only one order per day earns points. Complete details at dominoes.com slash rewards. You must select this limited time offer. Prices, participation, and charges may vary.